So uh, I'm going to go ahead and have Joe throw the, the uh, diagram up on the screen. Uh, just so we're on the same page again. So we have this a chart that we've been using. Uh, last week we talked about uh, number two on the chart, which is the rapture. We talked about uh, God taking uh, the church out. Now, number three on the chart, and you see it's kind of up there by itself, and that's because I need to acknowledge up front, we're going to talk this morning about the judgment of Christians um, when we stand before God someday as believers, and it's kind of up there. Everything else is kind of on the chart. Um, three is up there not only because it, it will happen in, in heaven, but also because the Bible is not specific about when exactly it happened. It almost certainly, for the majority of believers, happened sometime between number two, which is the rapture, and number five, which is the second coming. But the Bible never narrows it down and says, okay, it's exactly now. And so uh, we're going to do this before we get to next week, number four, which is the tribulation. We're going to go ahead and talk about the judgment of Christians this morning and what we need to know going into the reality that we will stand before God someday. So I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 11 and go down through verse 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 11. No, uh, It says in verse 11, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day, and that speaks of judgment day, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. This is the word of the Lord. Bob Goff tells a story of um, years ago he had wanted to, he's not, he didn't do a lot of sailing, but there's a thing called the Transpac race and it happens every year they start in Los Angeles and they sail across the Pacific uh, to Hawaii and and it's it's a race there's some people that take it very seriously and want to you know have the best time and, and they're very skilled uh, sailors but then there are other people like Bob who just wanted to do it for the experience of uh, of being able to say that he and his friends there were a group of friends he wanted to do it with had accomplished that to sail from Los Angeles to Hawaii, I mean, it's a huge distance, and that's quite an accomplishment. And so they, they one year they got together all the resources, they got the boat, they got everything that they needed, and none of them, like they were all decent sailors, but none of them were were excellent sailors. And so they get in there, and they're, they're sailing toward Hawaii, and, you know, they it, it's, the course is a little bit of a zigzag course because they, um, they're not uh, professional sailors, and so they kind of get off track a little bit and realize it and have to get back on track, and um, and it was tiring, and it was difficult, and, and it was a lot of work getting, uh, doing everything that needed to be done to get there, and so they, they get there, and again, they're not in it to win the race, uh, because they're not professional sailors, but they did want to uh, to finish, and so they sail in, and there's a tradition in the Transpac race, and, and Bob had never done it before, but as you sail into the harbor, 
where the finish line is in Hawaii, there's an announcer, and no matter what time of day you're there, because the, the boats come in over the course of a number of days, so some are quicker and some are slower, but as they, as they come in, um, there's a, an announcer, he's been doing it for years, and every boat as they come in gets the same welcome, and that is, welcome home. It's been a long and difficult journey. And, and Bob said, he wasn't really prepared. He kind of thought, you know, he knew that happened, but he wasn't really prepared for the impact of those words as he sailed in until he had gone on that long and difficult journey and realizing he had reached the finish line. He said he and all of his friends, as they sailed in and heard that person say, it's been a long and difficult journey, welcome home. He said they all teared up because it had been a long and difficult journey and they'd made it. And as we think about um, we as Christians going into eternity, sometimes we have, rather than what we're ta- going to talk about this morning, which is a more biblical approach to it, as we think about going into eternity, for many of us, we just kind of think of it similar to that, which is, okay, it's been a long life, I've gone through a lot of difficulties, I've gone through a lot of challenges, and now I'm done, praise the Lord, I, I, I'm going to be with Christ, and that's it. You know, I, I, I believed in Jesus, and now I'm going to be with Him, and that's all there is to it. And we certainly want to rejoice in that welcome of being in eternity and that welcome of meeting Christ and seeing those that we love. But we, we need to understand what we're going to talk about this morning is, even as, and we'll get into this later in the series, even as there is judgment day for those that are not Christians because they did not know and receive the grace of Christ, there is for a Christian, there is also a day of judgment. There is a day where we stand before Christ and, and we have to face that judgment. So I want to talk this morning specifically about what that judgment is for and how it should have a significant impact on the way that we live our lives every day. If you have your sermon outline, let's, let's uh, get the big picture of what we're going to talk about. Why does God judge Christians? And the answer is this. Christians will be judged not for salvation, but for reward. Christians will be judged not for salvation, but for reward. So there are two judgments that happen. They are separate. The one judgment is for those that never believed in Christ, never accepted Him, and that's a judgment for salvation, obviously, in that situation where they haven't received Him. And we'll get into this in a later sermon in the series. That's obviously a terrible situation to be in. We believe, as Christians, that none of us can work our way to God. None of us, as human beings, can earn our salvation. Salvation comes through the grace of Jesus Christ, through our faith in what He did for us on the cross, dying and then being raised again on the third day on Easter Sunday morning. And we receive that in by faith that Jesus did for us in dying for our sins, something we cannot do for ourselves. And so we receive that in and we recognize it's only by what Jesus did for us that we can be transformed and then begin to walk with God. So we need, every human being needs to receive what Jesus has done for him or her. Now, once we have received that, then as we come before God someday, there is a judgment. The judgment's not for salvation because we took care of that. I took care of that 35 years ago whenever um, in Huntington I went forward and said, Jesus, I want you in my life. I took care of that then. But now I've been walking with Jesus for 35 years, and if this afternoon I drop dead of a heart attack as I stand before him, there is going to be a judgment as I stand before Jesus, and that judgment is not for are you saved or are you not because we took care of that 35 years ago. The judgment's going to be for rewards based on the life that I have lived and whether or not I have honored Jesus in the way that I lived my life. 
And so as I think about that, and as I understand that there is a, not just an opportunity, well, hey, you know, you got saved, that, that's the only thing that's really important. Now, bonus, if you want to receive a reward, you can. This isn't a bonus. This is an expectation. And we want to get into these verses. This is not, you know, getting saved is the only thing that matters, and so then just go do whatever you want to do because it's no big deal. This is, if you have been saved, this is not just the preacher, it's not just the deacon, not just, this is Jesus' expectation for the way the normal Christian life will play out. And so we want to get into 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and look at what does it look like as we understand that God is going to judge us for whether or not we receive rewards, what exactly is he looking for? Let's dig into this passage. The second thing uh, as we get into this passage is this. How can fruit be required if some enter empty-handed? These Christians have works. This judgment determines whether those works are lasting or not. These Christians have works. This judgment determines whether those works are lasting or not. All right, now we're going to get into some stuff that some of you guys have never heard before and some of you guys are not going to like. Um, because this, this portrays the Christian life in a way that, that a lot of us would rather it not be. So the first thing, flip down with me um, to verse 15. Because this is a verse that is pulled out of context and misunderstood. And so verse 15 says, we're going to unpack the whole passage. If it is burned up, uh, the builder will suffer loss, but yet be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flame. So this verse is pulled out of context and used for people that the idea would be, listen, now I, I, I got saved when I was 15, and then I never did anything for Jesus. I never walked with Him. I never followed Him. I never discipled. I never saw anybody saved. I just kind of received Jesus, and then I don't have any works. But that's okay, even though I don't have any works. I'm going to get into heaven, and I'm going to be judged as one escaping through flames. I have no works to show for my life, but at least I'm in heaven, and I made it, and I'm with Jesus, and so praise the Lord, it's okay, I'll be all right, even though I don't have any works, because I, I made it into heaven. That is not at all what this passage is preaching. So let's go back and start with verse 11 and go down through, and then I want to hop over to, to um, John for a second. So let's unpack what he's saying here. Verse 12, if anyone builds on this foundation, the foundation was mentioned in verse 11 as being Jesus Christ. So we are building our lives on Jesus Christ, on what he did for us. We are building our lives from, uh, from that foundation. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. Now notice three of those are things that can stand up to a fire. Three of those are things that can stand up to the pressure. Three of them are not. The wood, hay, and straw, if it is subjected to fire, is going to burn up. And so we have three things that represent somebody living their life in a way that truly honors Christ, and three things that represent some works that don't measure up. We'll get into why here in a minute. Verse 13, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, remember we talked about that's the day of judgment where we as Christians stand before Christ, because the day will bring it to light. So Jesus is going to look at the works that we have and determine whether or not they 
are, to use the phrases here, gold, silver, costly stones, or wood, hay, and straw. Whether the works that we have accomplished in our lives for Him are works that measure up and stand to the judgment that He brings. It will be revealed with fire. Now, that's not literal fire, but that is the fire of judgment. That's like going through the pressure cooker. That's, That's having Him look at it and determine whether or not what we have done is worthwhile. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire, the judgment, will test the quality of each person's work. Now, before we get into 14 and talk about the reward, let me pause for a second. Because this, if you don't listen to anything else I say this morning, listen to the next statement. What he's talking about here is not some people didn't have anything, and so they entered in as through flame, and other people had works, and so they got some rewards. That's not what this passage says. Every person at this judgment has works. Did you notice? It doesn't say it's gonna, he's going to see whether you have works or whether you don't. It didn't say that. It said it's going to test what? The quality of your works. This is I cannot overemphasize this point because we live in a society where we have said for many years, and Baptist preachers are as guilty as anybody, listen, just believe in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, then you're going to go to heaven someday. It doesn't matter what you do after that. You can go live for the world or whatever. As long as you believe in Jesus, then it doesn't matter if you're a disciple. It doesn't matter if you're a follower. You just go on and do whatever you want. to. Just say you believe in Jesus. And that is a lie because Jesus doesn't call us to just say we believe in Him, and then go off and do whatever we want. But Jesus calls us to be followers of His, disciples of His, where believing in Him means, I believe that Jesus is who He said He is, and I'm going to stake my life on Him. I'm going to follow Him and do what He said to do, because I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, who's the most important person in the world, and I want to live for Him, not just say I believe in Him, and then not go do anything for Him. I want to live my life for Him. And so as I stand before God someday, it's not here that he says, okay, now some have works and some don't, and and if you don't, that's okay, it's no big deal. Everyone here, by definition, the Christians, have works. Why? Because part of truly being a Christian, part of truly being a follower of Christ is that I'm a follower of Christ and I'm going to follow Him. I'm going to do what He said to do. And John 15, which we'll get into in a minute, John 15, it says, if I am obeying the commands of Christ, then by a natural result of that, I'm going to get close to Christ. And if I am close to Christ, there's naturally going to be fruit. It's going to just naturally happen. It's the way the process works. So if I'm obeying Jesus, I'm naturally going to end up producing fruit. If you don't have any fruit in your life, you need to pause in this moment and consider whether or not you're a Christian. And I don't say that to be mean, but look at what 12 and 13 say. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, hay, silver, gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the judgment will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test not whether that person has works. The fire will test the quality of each person's work. We need to understand what we are being called to here. Let's go to 14. If what has been built survives, and we'll talk in a minute about reasons why it might not survive. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. 
So if what I've done for my life truly exalts Christ, truly lifts him up, and, and did a good job of using the resources he entrusted to me in, in a way that brings glory to God, then I will receive a reward. What will the reward be? Well, among the rewards will be that, and we're going to talk on the chart as we go further, as someday we will get to rule with Jesus, one of the, the rewards is that we will get greater authority in the kingdom of God that is to come. And so as we think about that, we, we need to understand that this life is a test for whether we are good servants of Jesus Christ. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, notice, not the person didn't have anything, but if what they had ends up not turning out to be substantial, if the works that they did in this life for Jesus Christ, for reasons we'll get into in a minute, end up not equaling anything, the builder will suffer loss, but yet be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So the one escaping through flames is not the one who didn't ever do anything for Jesus, just believed in Him and then went off and lived their life. It's the one who did some stuff, but it turns out that those things didn't stand up to the fire. Now, if you're uncomfortable so far with the sermon, say amen. This isn't fun stuff. And nobody likes this because we like the idea of just believe and go wander off and do whatever you want to do. And what Jesus is teaching here is something radically different. Flip with me back. Keep your finger here, but go to John 15 for a second. Because some of you guys, I want, I need to, to back it up with, with words from Jesus. Because I, I have no doubt some of you all are sitting there thinking, you are insane. This is not true. I've heard from a ton of preachers down through the years, all you got to do is just say you believe in Jesus and you're good. This idea that everybody has to have works as a natural result of true salvation as works. Where are you getting this from? Well, hey, I'm getting it from 1 Corinthians 3. But let's look at John 15. This is one of the most important passages. Jesus is coming toward the end of his life, and he gives us here the picture of the vine and the branches. And so uh, Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches off of the vine as we are connected to him. Look at what he says, John 15, 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, but every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. Let's take the second half of verse 2 first. So when a branch in him, in Jesus, begins to bear fruit, he prunes it back, just like a gardener would, in order to make that branch more fruitful. That means he comes in, he, he begins to challenge us in ways, we won't get into the whole sermon on this, begins to challenge us in ways and push us in ways that may not be real comfortable for us so that we can be even more fruitful. But I want you to look again at the first half of verse 2. Every branch, or I'm sorry, verse 2, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. That's exactly what I just said a minute ago about 1 Corinthians 6. It, fruit is the natural result of the true Christian life. Hopping down to, uh, to verse 5. No, let's hop down. Yeah, let's read verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you might bear much... No, no. You will bear much fruit, which is what I said a moment ago. 
when we are when we obey the commands of Christ, we naturally get close to Jesus and we naturally bear fruit as a result of that. Verse 8, this is to my Father's glory. We're going to talk about God's glory in just a minute. So remember this verse. This is to my Father's glory that you show up for church each week. Now, this is to my Father's glory that you say you believe in Jesus and run off and live your own life. No. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much what? Fruit. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. What that last phrase means? It means here's a way to show that you are my, here's the proof that you are my disciple. Showing up for church. Nope. Uh, having a Bible under your arm. Nope. Bearing fruit. Bearing fruit according to that second phrase there, is what shows that I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. Why? Because when I obey Jesus, naturally going to get close to Jesus, and naturally going to end up, as a result of that, bearing fruit. And so we need to understand as we look at our lives and as we consider what Jesus has called us to here, that as we stand before God someday, we should have something to show for the time that we have spent on this, on this earth that points to Jesus Christ and gives glory to Him and bore fruit for Him. Fruit can be one of two things. It can be internal fruit where I, as I obeyed, I became more like Jesus. I have the fruit of the Spirit. I have more love, joy, peace. And I took on the characteristics of Jesus Christ and became more like Christ. Fruit can also be external fruit. And that is, as I point people, whether in salvation or growing in Christ, as I point people toward Jesus and help them to get a little bit closer to God, as I do that, that is also fruit. It's just that simple. It's either becoming like Jesus inside me or pointing people toward Jesus. That's the whole thing. And so as I think about that, as I live my life, if I'm obeying the commands of Christ, that's naturally going to be happening in my life. And so therefore, I need to live my life in a way where as I obey Christ, there's going to be fruit where other people, when I get, and I hope I have a lot of years left, when I get to the end of my life, and, and I'm laying in the casket, I pray that people wouldn't come forward and say, you know, he was a he was a nice guy. I really liked him, or that they wouldn't come forward and, and say, well, you know, I man, he really liked golf. He he loved to golf. I pray that people would come forward and say, I'm closer to Jesus because I knew him. I, I got saved because He invited me to know Jesus. I matured in my faith because He showed me how to, or He, he marked the course for me, or he, he provided a good example for me. The only thing that matters is inviting people to know Jesus and pointing people to Jesus. So, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 2. So, as we think about that, we now need to ask the question, if, if some stood before Jesus and their works were gold and silver, and then others stood before Jesus and their works were, were hay and straw and got burned up, how, what's the difference? How can I make sure I'm doing this and not that? What were the, what were the differences between the two? And, and the list I want to give is not a complete list, but th- these bring out some really important things we need to consider. In, in how uh, we're living our lives and in what we're doing. So, making sure your works stand. Let's talk about three things. First, 
Back in 1 Corinthians 3, look at verse 11 with me. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. The first thing is right result. The right result. So it tells us in verse 11 that the foundation that has been laid is the foundation of what? Jesus Christ. So we are to build our lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Now, what else could you build it on? Well, I could build my life, and a lot of Americans do, on the foundation of financial prosperity. I'm after money, and I'm after living my life to get as much as I can and have all the junk that I can so that I can enjoy the prosperity and the American dream. And I'm living my life for the American dream. Amen. Praise the Lord. That is a bad foundation. You are wasting your life if you are living your life on the foundation of the American dream. Well, you know, i tell you what, what I really want to do. I'd really love to, to go viral and, and get... Uh, uh, 10,000 people liking my video or 10,000 people liking my post. I want to be famous. Even if it's not big famous, I, I, want to, uh, I want to be famous in some little way on social media. That's what I really want. So you want fame. You are wasting your life. To have fame is to build on a foundation. If it's only wanting that so that you can say you have it, it is, it is wasting your life. What we are to build our lives on for no one can lay any other foundation than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And so we need to live our lives in a way where we are living for Christ. So let's stop and ask ourselves, what is the goal of my life? Well, I'd like to go to college. I'd like to have a good life and be able to have a couple cars and a nice house and a nice wife and Okay, if your goal is the American dream, I'm not sure you're living in the way that you should. Well, I want to get famous. I'm not sure you're living the way that you should. The goal of our lives, the right result of our lives should be this. I want to live in a way where Jesus Christ is the foundation of my life and I'm living to honor and glorify Him. I want to live my life where I'm living to honor and glorify Jesus. I read the other day, let me get the quote. I got the quote right here. Years ago, LeBron James, the first time he won uh, an NBA championship, he was asked a few weeks later about what he thought about winning it. And here's his quote. What really got me when we won the NBA championship was how short of a time it lasted. The championship lasts just like that. The confetti rains, you go to your locker room, you pop the champagne, you do the media, you have the parade, and then it's over. You're like, that was an unbelievable 48 hours, but now it's over. And so some people are living for things that when they get to the end of it, they're like, it was over. And so we need to live our lives in a way where we understand the result of our lives is that we want to bring honor and glory. We want to lift up Jesus Christ. Second thing is this. Not only do we need the right result, which is, living our lives for Christ. But the second thing is we want the right motive. We want the right motive. Flip back with me to Matthew chapter 6 for a second because it gives us a good example here of a wrong motive. Matthew chapter 6. 
So the right result is living that we might honor and glorify Christ. The right motive in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1, he says here, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no what? No reward from your Father in heaven. Let's pause for a second. This isn't an empty word where he's just like, you won't have any result. You won't have any reward. This is the same word that's used over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 when it's talking about that when we have done the things that we are supposed to do, we will receive a reward. And so what he's saying here is, when you have done things, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. If you do, you will receive no reward from your Father in heaven. If I am doing my righteous acts to impress you, I will get no reward from Him. If I'm doing my righteous acts to make everybody think, man, Jim is a good Christian. Man, Jim... I'm not going to get anything in reward someday for Christ because my focus isn't on Jesus. My focus is on you. Verse 5, similar thing. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received, here's that word again, their reward in full. What's that mean? Their reward that they wanted was people to say, that was a beautiful prayer. You did a great job praying. And they received that reward when people said that. They weren't praying to please God. They weren't praying to lift Him up. They were praying to hear other people say that they did a good job. And so they received the reward, and that's the only reward they're going to get. When they stand before Jesus someday, they will not have Jesus say, that reward have elevated me and lifted me up. I'm going to reward you for that. They won't because they've already gotten the reward that they asked for. And then verse 16, same thing again with fasting when it comes to the right motive. In verse 16 it says, And when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received, here it is again, their reward in full. And so if I decide, you know what, I'm going to fast Wednesday. And so Wednesday morning when I decide to fast, I I type on Facebook, going to fast today, hoping it honors God. Guess what? No reward, because I'm not really fasting to honor God and to try to get close to Him. I'm fasting so Bill Cook will say, man, that Jim Butcher, he's really something. He's fasting on a Wednesday. We need to make sure that our motives are for the right thing. Flip with me back over to 1 Corinthians. Let's look at verse 10 for a second, because there's a a verse here that summarizes what I'm saying very succinctly, and and it's one that you should probably hold on to coming out of the, the sermon this morning. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31, as we think about the right motive, so I want to have the right result, which is I want to honor and glorify Jesus Christ, and I want to have the right motive as I go forward and making sure that what I do, I'm not doing it for selfish motives or for something else. But in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31, and look at how this ties perfectly into what we're talking about today. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, the motive should be the glory of God. I want in everything that I do to lift up and honor Jesus Christ. I want to lift up and honor God. Um, I read a story this week about a fellow who was on vacation. Um, he's a Christian. He was down in Key West. And as he, he and his wife were walking along, and there was a beggar. Um, appeared to be homeless. And they walked along, and the guy said, can, can you spare some change? And they, they just kept right on walking. And then as they had gotten, I don't know, another 30 feet down the, 
the road, the guy said, can't you help a Vietnam veteran? And, and Ed Dobson was the fellow. As, as he heard that, he stopped because one of his sons is in the military and he has a soft spot for, for folks that are in the military. And so he paused and he thought, this guy's a veteran. So he walked back and, and he gave him a little bit of money. And as he was giving him money, in his head, he was thinking, you know, you know, okay, we're supposed to help the poor. And so he was like, all right, I'm, I'm glorifying Jesus Christ in this. And then he went and turned and walked back. And as he was walking away, he realized, I didn't go and do that to honor Jesus Christ. I did that because I love the military. My, my motive was my son's in the military and that guy was in the military. I, I didn't go back because I thought, here's a chance for me to honor and glorify Jesus Christ. Once I was doing it, I kind of tried to slap that on top. But he said, I went back and did it because I, I, I had a motive that was military in mind, not Jesus Christ in mind. We need to make sure that as we are doing things, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. As I stand up here this morning, if my goal is afterwards to make go, man, Jim, that was a good message. Boy, I really appreciate that. And that's my goal. I get no reward someday for preaching this sermon. But if I stand up here this morning and my goal is, God, I pray somebody will get closer to Jesus Christ so that it will bring glory to you, then I can receive reward from that. It's not just enough to do the right thing. We also need to do the right thing for the right motive. And the motive is, I want to exalt and lift up Jesus Christ. Third thing is this. So we not only need the right motive, we not only need the right result, but the third thing is this. Actual worker. Actual worker. So as we think about um, the way that church life works, the way that it often happens, and it could be the church, it could be a community or whatever. Let's talk about the church for a second. So oftentimes we will claim credit for what's going on in the church, even if we're not actually active in that. Let's just pick one example. We can't do it this fall because of the school situation, but everybody in this church loves the fact that we do big news clubs. We go to Madison Elementary uh, during the school year once a month, and we have about 100 kids there. We go to Brookview Elementary, and we get about uh, uh, 50 kids there, and we get to go in. Some of those kids have never heard of Jesus before, and we get to go in usually with five or ten, well, five or six, seven workers. We go in, and we do the different things, and we, we tell them about Jesus Christ, and that's an awesome thing. And everybody in our church is thankful that we do Big News Club. It's a great ministry. And so I might be sitting in a pew and be like, Somebody says, well, how's your church doing in terms of reaching people for Christ? I'm like, man, we have Big News Club, and it's awesome, and we go into the church, into the schools with the church stuff, and I explain all that, as though the fact that I sit in the pew of a church that is going to do Big News Club means that I get rewarded for Big News Club. You know what? You know who gets rewarded for Big News Club? The person who's the teacher there and the person who does the surprise station there and the person who shows up to do games there and the person who does snacks there the people that show up to do the ministry are the ones that will get the reward for that. The fact that I sit in the pew of a church that is doing that, and we see that today, especially with consumer culture within the church, the consumer mentality where people are like, now I want to go to a church where good things are happening. I don't want to do any of the good things, but I want to go to a church where good things are happening so I can say, man, my church is reaching out, and my church, well, you got to be doing it. You don't get rewards if you're sitting in a building where other people are working. Look at um, uh, look in here in First Corinthians. Uh, look over at verse. I'm sorry, chapter twelve and verse four through six. First Corinthians twelve four through six. 
There are different kinds of gifts, speaking of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but all, but in all of them and in everyone, the same God is at work. Hop down to verse 20. He's been speaking about the body of Christ. As it is, there are many parts, but one body. So there are many parts, but there is one body of Christ. So we use the word today when we talk about I'm a member. What we mean by that is I went forward and they put my name on a little roll and I'm now a member of the church. Do you know how many times in the Bible the word member is used to mean somebody whose name is on a roll? Zero. It is never used in the Bible to refer to that. What does the Bible talk about when it talks about being a member? Well, in this passage, what it talks about is the, the church is like a body. It, you know, there's hands and there's feet. And, 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 and as we think about that, it talks here about being a member of the body of Christ. And what that means is that I'm a part. I'm a hand or I'm a foot or, or I'm an elbow or whatever I, may, whatever I may happen to be. And that as I do that, that the body of Christ, with Jesus gone to be in heaven, that we go forward and we are the body of Christ. Now, if you have a knee that doesn't work, that's going to affect what the body can do, doesn't it? And so, when I sit back and I'm like, man, you know, we, this church has great hands, this church is really doing great with its hands, and I'm a knee and I'm not doing anything, the body cannot do everything it needs to do. We all need to step up and be an actual worker in what Jesus wants us to do. Years ago, I heard a story out of uh, Russia. There was a uh, Russian Orthodox church that had been, um, the, the church hadn't been doing very well, and so they closed it down and sent all the people to another congregation uh, some distance away. And this particular church was uh, northeast of Moscow, and, and it was kind of in an isolated area. So they didn't need the building for a while. So the people were worshiping over there. And then several years later, they decided, you know what, this congregation is growing up. I think we're going to start using that building again. So they sent one of their people over to check on the condition of the building, and the building was gone. Because uh, during that time, there were hard times in Russia, and you could get uh, paid about four cents for every brick that you bought to a place that was in the town up from there. And so with that building just sitting there, people started showing up and chipping away the bricks and taking them over to the next town and getting, sold, getting them sold and getting a little bit of money and then coming back, and they do the same the next day. And over the course of a number of months, the building went from being there to not being there at all. The body of Christ can't work if all the little bricks in the building aren't working, aren't present, aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. And so we need to understand, not only do I need to have the right reason for doing it, not only do I need to have the right motive, but I also need to have to be an actual worker in what I do. So, as we think about that, I want to close with this. Go back with me to John chapter 15. I know we were there a minute ago, but I want to close with a, a, a verse that's there that's really important for what we're talking about this morning. John 15. So, so let's go back to that idea that we talked about earlier, where people say, all right, listen, I believe in Jesus. I know I haven't done very much with Him. And, and, and maybe even now I've done some work, but not enough work. But that's okay. Listen, when I get there someday, when I walk into eternity after I die, the only thing I'm going to, the 
only thing I'm going to care about is that I made it. That's all. I, I don't care about anything else, whether I get rewards or don't get rewards. I don't care about any of that. The only thing that matters to me is that I made it. Is it a big deal to not get rewards as long as I make it? The answer is this. There is shame in standing empty-handed before nail-scarred hands. There is shame in standing empty-handed before nail-scarred hands. So we need to understand what we're talking about this morning is not, as I said earlier, it's not a bonus. It's not something where we're like, if you want to, you can. This is the expectation Jesus has. He expects fruitfulness. And as we come in, knowing that Jesus expects fruitfulness and we were to live our lives in that way, to come before Him someday and to go into eternity and to stand in His presence and to have our hands empty, figuratively speaking, of any work that we have done or at least any that stood up to the judgment, rather, that we don't have anything that we did in our lives that really stood up to the, the flame of judgment, to stand there with empty hands, seeing His nail-scarred hands and knowing that He died on the cross for our sins, I had 50 years to live on this earth as a Christian, and in the 50 years I had all the money that flowed through my life, all the time that I had, the spiritual gifts that I had, and as a result of those 50 years, with everything that Jesus gave to me, I accomplished for the glory of God absolutely nothing that stands up to judgment. You don't think there's going to be shame in that moment? Oh, I can't wait to meet Jesus. If you stand before Him, we said in an earlier sermon, not everybody here is well done, good and faithful servant. To stand before Him and to have Him look at your life and say, I gave you so much and you accomplished nothing to give me joy. In Matthew, I'm sorry, in John chapter 15 and verse 16, it says this. this. Jesus is still speaking. He says, You did not choose Me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. He appointed us. Not to bide our time, not to sit in a pew. He appointed us so that we might go and bear fruit. Back in 1867, there was a Swedish chemist that came up with a, a new explosive. Uh, it's called dynamite, and um, and it began to be used in different places around the world, not only for commercial purposes, but also began to be used in war. And a lot of people died in war from the use of dynamite. Years later after that, um, the fellow that, that created that, his older brother died. And the newspapers got it wrong and thought that he had died. And they printed in the paper that this particular person, they said um, he was the inventor of dynamite which has killed more people in war than perhaps anything in human history. And he became a very rich man as a result of his creation. 
And this man seeing his obituary and realizing that the legacy he had left was a legacy of death, committed his life in that moment. He said, I, wanted, I don't want to leave that legacy. Seeing the obituary, he said, I want to do something that's worthwhile. And so he thought, I'm going to start something that will pursue peace in the world, that will pursue something good in the world. And so this creator of dynamite, a man named Alfred Nobel, started a yearly prize for different things, including the person who had done the most to bring peace to the world that year. And all these years later, every year we still go about the Nobel Prize for the one who has furthered peace in the world. It's it's a life-changing thing when you stop and think about the legacy of your life the way that Alfred Nobel did in that moment. And this morning in this passage, we have Jesus saying, here's something you need to consider when you think about the legacy of your life, when you think about what you're leaving behind. And the fact that as we stand before Jesus someday, this is what He expects of us. Am I living my life in a way where I'm prepared for that Father, the hard truth is that um, I don't think a single one of us liked the sermon this morning because it's hard and it's challenging and it pushes us in ways that we would rather not be pushed. We get self-centered and we get lazy and we get caught up in our own little world. Father, I pray that the, the words that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians this morning would seep deep into our hearts and that we would recognize what's expected of us. And it's not that we would go out and somehow manufacture fruit or somehow magically make it happen, but that we would simply obey Jesus faithfully and passionately so that we can be close to Jesus so that fruit will come as a result in our lives. May we do it for the right result, which is the glory of Jesus Christ. May we have the right motive. And may we get up and actually work for the kingdom. Father, I pray in Jesus' name.